Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod and our special guest, recently retired assistant head coach Mike Garland. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Michigan State victory over Penn State in Penn State's opener out in State College, 67-58. Uh, I do want to take responsibility for this win because, as you may know from listening to the last episode, my wife was too lazy to put on Michigan State gear going to the Michigan State game. <laughs> I convinced her after kind of the rough, shaky start that she had to put some stuff on. And now I think she's doomed. She's going to have to wear Michigan State gear for the rest of the season on away games as well. Uh before we start, I just wanted to thank Thor Peterson for a one-time gift via pay- Venmo, John Heslop from a one-time gift for, via PayPal, and for all those who are supporting the show through the purchase of t-shirts. For those who aren't aware, we do have t-shirts available. You can go to our website at thefinalfoursnotontheschedule.com or tffinots.com if you're lazy, and just select merchandise. There you can see a mock-up of the t-shirt. It's a pretty sweet green and white shirt. Uh, they're $25 a piece. You can just uh, pay via pay- PayPal. Uh, if you want to do other means of payment, we can certainly do that. You just have to contact me at eric at uh, tffinots.com. I think one of the most interesting things about the t-shirts, and it kind of, I think, goes into what we are talking about briefly with uh, Coach Garland, is the amount of Spartan fans that are outside of Michigan. I'm really surprised when I look at these t-shirts. We have South Carolina, North Carolina, Washington, Texas, Virginia, D.C., you know, uh, Pennsylvania. It's interesting because I always watch these tournaments. I think, oh. These are all these Spartan fans traveling from Michigan to the games. And I think it's probably just mostly just people who are out there who have an opportunity to watch the Spartans in person, right? I mean, I think that's a lot of it. It's You don't realize how big the Spartan nation and the alumni base is until you start you know, seeing these away games and things like that, these tournaments. Uh, so the, the game, briefly recap, uh, Michigan State was having trouble early, down 10 to Penn State as they got hot from three, which is what we worried about and talked about before. Uh, then they tied it, got up to tied, actually had to lead briefly in the first half, then it was tied going to half. And it was a back and forth game in the second half. And, you know, really largely behind, I think, the the will of A.J. Hogard playing maybe cause in front of his, his family a little bit, but also just, you know, I think just kind of taking the leadership reins. But you should say pulled away late and iced it at the line. I mean, just any chance that Penn State had, they pretty much finished off. Uh, you know, uh, one of the keys, I think, too, the, to the, la- the second half is Penn State was really restricted from hitting three-pointers. They hit seven in the first half, and I think they hit one in the second half. And they were pretty largely, I guess, just relegated to going for twos. And before uh, I'll have Doc, uh, Coach Garland talk, jump in with what his impression is, I just do want a quick shout-out to Roger Jansen, our mutual friend, who uh, have, helped sort of arrange this. And is probably the only person on earth who I would say has more energy than Coach Izzo. So, um, go, Coach Garland, go ahead. Uh, why don't you give us your impressions of the game and sort of uh, what you thought? 
Well, it's um, it's it's really interesting what you said, and um, what actually happened in the in the in the first half was if you go back and think about uh, what what you saw, uh, uh, Penn State was scoring threes, and they were scoring threes for two reasons: one, we were turning the ball over so they could get open threes in transition. The other thing was <clears throat> we were overhelping. We were overhelping, in particularly one pass away from the. Uh, from the ball and you can't do that um, you can't you know you can't be up and trying to defend the gap when your <clears throat> responsibility is a shooter like that you can stunt that gap and get back but you can't you can't overcompensate or try to overhelp in that situation and we did both of those things in the first half the adjustments you always see in the second half, how hard is it to make that adjustment in the first half? Because I'm sure that, you know, coaching staff is seeing that. Is it hard to sort of tell the players that they're overhelping in things or does it just, do you really just need to sit down and have a break at halftime to get that message through? Well, well, it comes, it, it comes right down to that, Eric. Um, it's not like it's something new. They practice that every day. You practice that out of your four on four shell defensive drill that uh, you, you, most kids have been doing ever since they were in elementary school. You just they just have to be reminded and then uh, with a little coaxing from Tom and the rest of the staff uh, they start doing what they're supposed to I, I, I guess to, to ask you another question on that on that point it's I believe I saw coach Izzo refer to this in one of his uh, recent press conferences that he was he was talking about the effect of the absence of a player like Malik Hall on your defense, that it's not even just about what he does individually, but kind of the knock-on effect when other guys, what having someone who isn't Malik Hall out there does to other guys. And I think you think that relates to what you're talking about as well, that that gap responsibility and not overhelping and those types of things. Well, you're absolutely on the money. And, uh, you know, the big thing about Malik is that he's a talker. Uh, every good defense is anchored by normally a man on the baseline, a big, big, uh, big guy that can actually call things out. And um, Malik is very good at that. He's a very highly intelligent player, and uh, he he predicts and sees things before they actually happen. So that helps, you know, that helps your your weaker defenders. And uh, of course, we miss him and. Um, we also, more so than anything else, we miss his presence offensively because he's such a hard cover. Yeah. Yeah. And and we know some of the great teams in, in Coach Izzo's tenure have had those guys like a Xavier Tillman or a Draymond Green, exactly what you were talking about. Those guys in the back, Antonio Smith, maybe Absolutely. the best of them all. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you think someone like Malik Hall, his importance to Sissoko? We've heard a number of, you know, mentioned, you know, Sissoko looked great the first few games. I mean, like he would, he belonged. Like for, a guy, for a guy who hadn't played hardly any minutes for his first couple of years, he looked like a totally different player and transformed. And then as soon as Malik has been injured, it, he looks like he's not struggling, but it looks like it's a little bit harder game for him. It's like moved a little bit faster and he's had been in, I think, worse position sometimes at the gaps. Is that because of Malik just telling what's coming or because he's not there? Well, absolutely. You just answered your own question. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'll go back for you. Um, when, um, <clears throat> when we had uh, Andre Hudson and he was a freshman, well, Antonio Smith was back there. And what he did was the best thing he did, he played very well, you know, as a freshman. I think he was all freshman, big 10. He was 
phenomenal. But all he was doing was doing what Antonio told him to do. <laughs> and, it, and it really, it comes down to that. Just simply li- being willing to listen and being willing to do what this, uh, a vet is telling you to do. And this is the same thing with Monty. Monty has that same type of personality. And uh, he's, he's a good kid. He's only been playing basketball for six years. I don't know if people really, really realize that. Uh, Monty comes from Mali, and he had never played the game before until he went to Wasatch. And uh, for him to be where he is now is really phenomenal. Uh, those first two games, you know, uh, he played well. But uh, I knew it was going to be, you know, I knew it was going to be a little tough on him as the season progressed because once you show yourself, then your name goes to the top of the scouting report and things become a little bit different. I I can say this now that this game's over. I think maybe my favorite guy, <laughs> my favorite non-MSU guy to watch this year in the Big Ten might be Pickett from Penn state. I just really like the way he plays. And, and it was obviously a tremendous battle between he and AJ Hogard individually in this game, they were guarding each other frequently. Um, what do you think about him as a player? And then obviously AJ was the guy who kind of led the way for MSU tonight. what do you think about that matchup? Well, you know, I, I thought that, uh, I, I don't, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not going to say I thought, uh, Jalen Pickett is a heck of a player. Yeah. One of the things is that he's he's probably about 6'4", and he's really, really strong. But I also thought that he had some difficulties playing against AJ because AJ is strong, and he's about 6'3 and a half. And what people don't realize, AJ has like a six foot nine wingspan. So when he was getting in close some of those times, if you noticed, yeah. he was missing those shots, and particularly right. early on. Now, you know... I know that announcers are saying, well, they're backing him in. Well, they're backing him in because we had took, taken away those threes and we were doing just like what I told you. Right. Instead of letting them have those threes, we were out there on them instead of doubling down. So, yeah, of course, he's going to be one-on-one, but that's not really his game, so to speak. He's not a post player, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, no question he's one of the better players in our league. Um, strong. Um, tremendous stamina. I, I, I think he, he probably played 40 straight minutes. I don't yeah. remember ever being out of the game, but uh, I love the kid. Wish we could have him. He's, he's a Spartan type player. Yeah, absolutely. I, you just, I, I don't think you see many guards who play that way anymore. The thing we, we talked about him in our, in our pregame to me, the thing I, I'm maybe most impressed by is that it, it seems like he's playing at the pace he wants to play at all the time. He seems to be really hard to speed up. Not that he's anywhere the same kind of player stylistically, but it made me think of somebody like Cassius Winston, where the game was just his game to control. And I feel like Pickett's got at least a little bit of that in his own way. Yeah, right. He really does. And uh, great guards, they do control tempo, not only tempo for their team, but control tempo for themselves. Right. That was what made Steve Smith such a great player. Oh, yeah. Controlled tempo. Yeah. He he played off tempo. He played on. He, um, you know, great guards control tempo and not only just tempo, uh, the tempo of their team, but the tempo that they play at in uh, their own tempo. So you talked about what you thought A.J. did 
effectively defensively with his wingspan and and bothering Pickett enough in the post. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the way AJ played offensively tonight? Well, what was great is that he got his mid-range game going, and yeah. that's it in a nutshell. I mean, it's hard to defend him if he, if <clears throat> if yeah. he's going to make that mid-range shot. Um, the one thing I saw. And uh, I'm pretty sure Coach and those guys really emphasize it, and they have been for two years. We've been emphasizing him playing off two feet. When he plays mm-hmm. off two feet, he's special. Um, you know, he takes away the charges. You know, he draws the defense in, the defense in, and he can kick the ball right back out. And uh, it makes him um, like crazy effective. But uh, he played a heck of a game. You know, I thought he. I really thought he took over the team. I thought he verbally uh, took control of a guy of our guys, and because he was talking, I thought that raised our guys' sense of confidence up. And that's what he has to do. That's more than anything else. That's probably why Tom benched him. Uh, he has tremendous leadership skills, and he's capable of doing that. And I told my wife tonight, we're watching the game. I don't know if people realize this, but A.J. Hogard is really, really, really good. It's it's if he's going to take that next step to becoming a Cassius Winston, a Mateen Cleaves. He doesn't shoot as well as Cassius, but he shoots about the same as Mateen. And right. uh, the more he becomes a vocal leader, and he plays to make plays, not just score, but make plays. He becomes <laughs> he, be, he he becomes a, 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 a superstar in his own right. Yeah, he, there was you know when you were, when you were speaking a moment ago about him talking and, and being a vocal leader. I go back to a, I think it was a play in the second half where he let Jackson Kohler absolutely have it (laughs) for not for, I think for not getting through a screen um, on a play involving Pickett. And I don't remember a lot of times seeing AJ taking that kind of role. It reminded me of the guys like Draymond or, or Xavier Tillman, where you see them kind of get into their teammates face, but not just for the sake of yelling, but, to hopefully teach a younger guy and hold them responsible. I thought that was maybe a really big moment kind of quietly that seeing AJ do that. So hopefully we're going to see more. No question. And uh, unfortunately for Jackson, you know, when he plays, <laughs> every team puts him in a ball screen, right? Uh, right. Uh, especially yeah. a little ball screen. And, it, and that, that action where it's a, it's a screen and then it turn around and rescreen it. By the time he gets to the to the initial ball side, and then the ball goes back the other way, it's just hard for him. Uh, it would be hard for anybody. Now, when when Mati Sissoko was in there, they can't do that because right. he's an excellent, excellent ball ball screen defender, and he's right. quick enough to get there. And if they and if they have to, they can switch it, and he can stay in front of that guy. Um, kind of staying on, on Jackson for a moment, I wanted to see what you thought about this because he was actually very productive offensively in that first half, kind of helped MSU stay sure. afloat while they were struggling. Um, but in other games, especially lately, he's been struggling to finish, and that was the one thing that the stuff I saw from him in video and clips um, and even seeing a, a game on television last year 
uh, when he was still in prep school. Um, I thought he was going to be maybe a bit more ready offensively, but I started thinking about it and is watching him kind of reminded me just a little bit of Goran Sutan when he was in his first year play actually playing. Mm-hmm. I think he was a redshirt mm-hmm. freshman. You know, a, a right. lot of people, a lot of right. our listeners will remember that layup he missed against right. Gonzaga and right. Maui, but right. you could, you could see Goran being a guy who understood, had footwork, understood how to play, but he just wasn't able to finish. Do you think it's the same thing going on with Jackson and, what do you think? Is it just experience that's going to change it? Does he need to get stronger? Both of those things? Something else? Number one thing in what you're saying is confidence. Okay. This is simply confidence. It, it really is. I mean, that kid can score. You know, right. uh, when we when we recruited that kid, we said, hey, this is a poor man, Zach Randolph. And that's exactly who he is. He doesn't rebound as well as Zach. But in terms of scoring, he can score that ball. You get him some touches um, and, and let him get going, he'll, he'll score the ball. And the other thing that I don't think people are realizing, I've never really seen this from a, from a freshman post player who really, hasn't, um, who really hasn't established himself. They double him right away. That's true. Everybody yeah. doubles him right away. So it's not yeah. there's not a lot of opportunity for him to get going because everybody right. knows that if he gets going, you, you're not going to be able to stop him. But, yeah. you know, in, at some point in the future, he's going to learn what to do against those double teams and he's going to start hurting people. I guarantee you he'll probably even start that before the end of the year. Yeah. 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 And I think sometimes a lot of fans obviously forget <laughs> – the fact that they are freshmen, they are teenagers at this oh, point. Yeah. And it's, it's a process, no matter how good they look <laughs> in high school, you're that's playing correct. against some men at, at this yeah. point. You know, I mean, that's the thing about Penn state. They're not a big team, but boy, ton of experience. And those guys are physically tough. I mean, they're all those six, five, six, six guys they've got to put together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, they play that five out offense. And uh, another thing that was hurting us in the first half you know we're a gap protection team, but they were they were actually, you know, raising us up and then back cutting us to the basket. They must have got mm-hmm. three of those wide open layups off of that, and that should never happen. In particularly to Michigan State because we we're not up in the passing lane. You know? Right. You know, as I said, we're a gap protection team, but um, you know, with that speed and that quickness and that athleticism, you're playing five out. It's, it's, it's a lot hard, harder to guard than what it appears. What do, um, speaking of Penn state real quickly, what are your impressions of what Micah Shrewsbury has been doing there early in his tenure? Cause I, I have to say on our podcast, even last year, we were pretty impressed with how hard they played for him. Um, you mentioned that right now, I guess he probably doesn't have much of a choice, but they've got kind of an unconventional five out offense mm-hmm. that they're running a lot of times he doesn't have a lot of at least experienced size that he can play but what do you think about him that's been a that's been a tough place for people to consistently win um you, did you think it was a you think it was a good hire you think he's got a a reasonable chance of, of being successful at penn state well there's no doubt about that i've known michael for a long time i know michael before <laughs> even back before Butler, he was at Butler, but he wasn't even an assistant at that time. 
And um, he knows this game. He's been around it at the highest level. Uh, right. You know, he's a master at teaching that five out because basically that's what everybody does in the NBA. You know, right. you don't see any, you don't mm-hmm. see any low post play hardly anymore. Everybody keeps the, the low post open for drives, but uh, you know, he, he's a very, very, very good basketball coach. And even more so, he's a great, great young man. And I just wish the best for him. You know, I was looking at the stats, and one of the interesting things about this game is Michigan State finishes the game with nine turnovers and Penn State nine. I mean, you know, the 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 big concern always with people, with fans is that we're averaging 15, 16 turnovers a game earlier in the season, and this time was just, you know, we've had, this is, I think, the fourth game under 10, which I can, I can, I don't know how many seasons we've had where we have that many games under, you know, double digits frequently. And so is it a different way that, that Michigan State's playing right now, or is it just the experience on the floor? I mean, what do you think accounts for the, I guess, you know, the more valued possessions or at least the less turnovers? Well, it's one thing. We're playing with two point guards on the floor at right. the same time. Wow. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're less apt to turn the ball over. So, you know, with Tyson and, and AJ out there at the same time, you don't, you don't run the risk of all those turnovers. And, um, you know, that, that, Eric, that that makes a big, big difference. And you see that in teams who play uh, two-point guards. And you have some squads that actually play three. You know, the the third guard is is really a point guard. But uh, that makes a big, big difference for us. And um, we have have very good guard play. And... um, I think that's going to be our bread and butter the whole year is the fact that we, you know, we have great, we have, we have great guards. Um, I guess, why don't we just kind of briefly go through the keys of the game and just see, you know, the, the first one is energy. And I think, you know, that was the concern after the Notre Dame game. I think, you know, everyone had felt like there's an excuse, uh, you know, with all the travel, I don't know, Michigan State had traveled, what, 15, 20,000 miles, it seemed like, it's probably, I think 10,000 miles for the first seven games, seven, eight games, uh, and then was 28 games, and or 29 nine games in 28 days, or something mm-hmm. like that, so it was, a, you know, tired legs, but then I think we, even in the Northwestern game, it felt like Northwestern kind of took it to Michigan State, which is not something you see typically, that Northwestern brings mm-hmm. that sort of toughness. I, I felt like this game, we didn't see that. I think Michigan State matched it, and, and if nothing else, I think even had more the, at the back end of the game. Just out, I think we got to some loose rebounds and some loose balls that I think we – it's the difference in the game. Well, well Eric, you know, I, I know it's an excuse, but uh, when we played Northwestern, we still had Portland in us. Uh, the travel, yeah. we still had it. It's – it doesn't go away in one day. It doesn't, it, it takes just about a good week to get it out of you. And uh, that, you know, that, that, that hurt us. I mean, you could see that in us, you know, uh, I don't know if you know what time the team got in from Portland, but they got in from Portland at uh, seven thirty in the morning um, uh-huh. on, on Monday. And then yeah. they had film and did some things because they had to a little bit of practice on Tuesday, and then they went and played um, went and played Notre Dame, and and you know I could tell Mike Brand those guys because of the way they were playing that they knew that and they knew we were going to be fatigued and we were shorthanded. Yeah. You got to take that into yeah. account as well, 
but uh, you know we still had that hangover when we played against <clears throat> when we played against Northwestern. I guarantee you, if we played them this weekend, uh, the outcome wouldn't be the same. What do I mean? It's it seemed to me that even for this one, because you have the Northwestern game on Sunday, you have two days in between, and then Wednesday you're back at it on the road in State College. What, how was a staff when, when you were involved all those years, did you guys, cause it's not the first time a scheduling, maybe, maybe not quite this extreme, but you faced plenty of these short turnaround situations where the team is maybe on dead legs. What kind of things did you guys do to try to get them through it? At least for a night, like we saw tonight where they found a, a reservoir of energy somewhere. Well, the big thing is to convince your guys that they got to rest, you know, they, they just, <laughs> there's there's really not a lot to do other than rest them and make sure that they're make sure that they're um, that they're you know hydrated very well. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's not a lot of practicing that you can do in those situations. Right. Um, what you try to do is make them as cer cerebrally uh, compared <laughs> prepared as you can, and um, you know you just you just hope and pray that they have something left in them. To, to be able to overcome that and numbers will do that when you don't have numbers you get caught and right. uh, mm -hmm. we we just you know we've we've worked out over the years we've had the same thing happen and still been able to squeak games out because we had numbers you know we there are teams i'm sure you know you guys <clears throat> have followed the program for years we're 10 12 deep <laughs> yep you know okay you know, come on with it. But uh, when yeah. you're not, and you're two of your <clears throat> two of two of your top seven guys are, you know, out and sitting on the bench. It's it's tough. Well, one of the other things, of course, the the probably the biggest key of the game, and certainly one we saw early, and you mentioned earlier, was of course guarding the arc. And you know, Penn State goes seven of eighteen in the first half or three, and then one for nine in the second half. So they shot eleven percent. They ended up under thirty percent, which is well under their average. And and I think more to the more to the point is they only had nine attempts in the second half, yeah. which was really unusual. I mean that because they weren't given any opportunities, and and that was I mean I think that was if anything that was the biggest key defensively to that game. Well, Eric, as I mentioned to you guys before uh, earlier in the, you know in the podcast, is that we weren't going to allow them any open and uncontested threes anymore. And the best way to take away threes is not to let them catch the ball so they can shoot it. Right. You know, you, you want to, you know, you want to take away the attempt and that's what happened. So when they do take having, when they do get a shot, it's normally a forced shot because they're frustrated that they can't get your shots off. And when we decided to get out there and be there on the catch on our closeouts, um, all of a sudden they couldn't get those shots off and, that's why in the second half, in particularly late, we saw P Pickett backing in and, and doing what he had to do because there was no no drawing kick opportunities for him. Right. So his did a great job of that. I mean, that takes great mental toughness and focus to be able to do that. Yeah, it was impressive because you could see even Pickett was frustrated by the fact that his team wasn't getting any threes because exactly. he he would even get great position for layups or right. short uh, like you know six footers and he'd still pass out to guarded guys on the, sure. the outside the line. Sure, 
There's no doubt. Yeah, about it, it's it's funny to say it because they don't look anything like this physically, but it kind of reminded me of a few games in recent years. MSU has played against Purdue, where it seemed like the game plan was look. We're going to let their seven foot nine center go one on one in the post, but we're not going to give up three point books and, you know, earn some wins that way. And so maybe a similar thing from MSU in the second half in this one. No, no, it's exactly right. You're you're exactly right, Rod. That's exactly what what happened in that in that in that in the in this case tonight. You know, we 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 took those threes away and if they were going to beat us, they were going to have to beat us on <laughs> on, you know, post-play, and uh, right. it just didn't happen. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when we play Purdue, and they had the big giants in there, if you if, if you double and triple down or if you choke yeah. down with your entire team, you know, Matt has those sharpshooters standing out there just foaming at the mouth, and they'll cut you in the ass. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> but, it, but, but it's been proven that if you, you know, force them – to just play straight up inside uh, and, and just go to the well constantly, you do have a chance against them. And, right. and what happens in that too is it's, it's psychological. Uh, the other guys aren't touching the ball. They're not getting shots. So their willingness to play defense starts to diminish. Mm. And their willingness, you see what I'm saying? Their willingness yes. to pass the ball when they touch it diminishes. So there's a psychological effect in that. And then, you know, they just <clears throat> they just kind of come apart. Yeah, I would think, too, uh, in that situation you have, they're going to f- fall asleep, right? If it's just going, if there's a, sort of like almost you're playing right field where there's nothing, there's no action. You know, if you're just sitting outside the line, you're never getting the ball. Sure. You're less likely to rebound the ball. You're re- less likely to get in and hustle for the loose balls, right? So that's, that's like lulling them to sleep. That's right. That's exactly what And, um... You know, one of the things we were, we commented to before, which is obvious, is that the, the size of Penn State is much smaller. In, and Michigan State, I don't know, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to the end of the game, but except to notice that I think Joey was playing the five quite a bit because we were kind of playing a small lineup because for, I think, free throw shooting and just the fact that we could because Penn State is pretty small. Do you And we punished him inside. I mean, that was obviously part of the, the plan, too, and that was part of the plan coming back even in the first half, right, to get it to Joey and... Uh, and Jackson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> you know, we went with Joy on the inside, um, basically more so for defense than it was for offense. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Jackson was having a hard time because, <clears throat> you know, he's trying to guard those smaller guys. And you guys, as I said before, they were keeping him in a high ball screen. And that's just, he's just not ready to defend that yet. But when, when we do play Joy at the five, then if they run a ball screen, high ball screen like that, or even a, even a, a, a ball screen on the, on the perimeter, on the wing, uh, Joey can switch. So that helps us a lot. And uh, the other thing is Joey is a big time threat on the on the, <clears throat> from the three, even though he's playing the five. So his man has to his man has to be there on the catch. So you put, uh, you put, you, we start, we start doing things with AJ Tyson and joy where joy setting the down screen and popping or picking. And then <clears throat> AJ is on, you know, kind of on the top. And then joy goes up and sets that ball screen and he pops and Tyson is on the ball side. 
you got you pick your poison. I mean, right. <laughs> it, it, what are you going to do? So it's right. it's a, they, that you know when we when we start to really we're going to start to really come together. We're going to be an exciting, explosive team, and we're going to be able to score points. I know we're in a struggle right now, but I'm going to tell you, we're going to be able to score some points. You know, Michigan State shot 43% from the field, 40, you know, 42% from the, 43% from the lot, from the three, two, not a lot of three point attempts, only 14, but it seemed like it was the right amount. I mean, I think it's a bouncing, you know, if you were to equate to football, it seems like, you know, you've got your, po- you got your inside play and then you've got your outside play. You sort of bounce like running and passing. Right. And I feel like, um, so does that, it just makes you harder to guard. I mean, is it hard for those teams to sort of come up with a good, effective game plan to stop us offensively? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And you know, when you can, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, taking. <laughs> uh, I like the three ball. I don't like the overuse of the three ball. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when you when you get guys that are trying to take them off the dribble, or you know, guys that are forcing them up with guys on the catch and guys in their face, it doesn't become a good shot. You know, Um, it's not a good shot when it's contested. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a great equalizer to some point, Um, you know, like, like when you're at a disadvantage against a team, if you can get open, if you're the um, inferior team and you get some open threes, you're going to, you know, that, that's, that's a recipe for an upset, but um, that can, you know, you live by the gun and you die by it too. So, <laughs> you know, you better be making those. Otherwise you get blown out. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think it was pretty obvious in this game tonight. I, I happen to actually see both of the games Penn state lost this year against Virginia tech and Clemson. And in both of those games, A lot of it, I thought, had to do with those teams being able to take Penn State around the rim and score. And Mm -hmm. you knew coming in, that's probably where Michigan State was going to be able to get a lot done. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, they did. You know, the game AJ had, as we were talking about, he was hitting the mid-range. He was also getting to the basket and scoring there. Joey Hauser had 12 points, had an effective game. Um, They got the six points from Jackson. I mean, it, it it seemed to be the right game plan and it worked out. So not much room for criticism, only taking 14 threes in this one. I don't think for Michigan state. I would agree. And one of the things we were observing earlier is that, you know, it seems the, the emphasis on offensive rebounding has changed. Is this uh, if with Michigan state, there aren't as many, you know, I think today uh, Michigan state had six offensive rebounds out of 34 misses. Um, is that, is that a, is that a sort of philosophical change this season or is it because Malik's out and Aikens has been sort of, you know, just kind of coming back? What is, what, I guess, how do you decide when you're going to really attack the glass and maybe a team that it doesn't, because I think one thing we've been concerned about the last few years is the defensive rebounding has not been as good and it seems to be much better this season, uh, you know, from, from a team standpoint. Well, I, I think Monty has a lot to do with that in terms of the defensive rebounding. The offensive rebound, and that needs to get fixed. <laughs> I mean, you know, but, you know, you you said it. Uh, <clears throat> Malik Malik Hall and Jay Nakins are very, very good offensive rebounders. And without them out there, you know, your your opportunities to get in there and, 
and get your hands on the ball, just they diminish. And, um, you know, but but all in all, that's an effort thing. So we got to <laughs> we got to go. That's how you get them. It, it's, it's not rocket science. You send four guys <laughs> and most teams are going to maybe block out two of those guys and then you get the ball back. It's, you know, but you got to have guys willing to do it. And uh, that that needs to get fixed and it needs to get fixed fast. So you don't you don't believe that there's any kind of um, strategic decision being made to maybe not emphasize it as much with this group as in the past. It's just they're not executing. No, I know that. It's not okay. That. <laughs> I, I, I figure you. I mean, I've been, I, you know, I haven't been to practice in the last few days, but I know that we're okay. going to go to the. We're 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 going to get on that offensive glass. You know what okay. people don't understand about the offensive glass is this: when you when you aggressively go to the offensive glass, and you start getting in there, it takes away any. It takes away the your opponent's abilities to be able to get out and run on you on the break. Right. They just, mm-hmm. because they're just, they're just happy that they have the ball. So when they get the <laughs> ball, they tuck it under their stomach or they hold on to it and turn backwards. And by that time you're back. But, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very, very effective. And when you do it and there's no way you can practice against, uh, uh, get ready for it and practice against it if you're not doing that with your team every day yeah and it all it, it also over the years I mean it's been very clear to see that when Michigan State rebounds offensively the way we typically see it tends to just wear an opponent out demoralize them you know when it when a team is constantly getting two three chances to score that just that's got to have a cumulative effect over the over the course of 40 minutes and we haven't seen it as much yet this year, but hopefully we're yeah, going to see that yeah, change. Yeah, even last year, in the last couple of years, we haven't been nowhere near as effective right. with, as right. we have been over the years. And uh, <laughs> you know, but once you get it going, man, as you just said, it just deflates teams. You know, yeah. it takes it takes their heart from them. And um, I've always said to our guys, you know. When you offensive rebound the ball, it's like a life raft. When you can't mesh, yeah. it's your life raft. You can stay in yep. the game. You can get putbacks. You can get easy shots because you're all over that glass. So, you know, one of the big transformations this season from last year, I, you know, is AJ's shooting is, you know, you're seeing it on the line. He's shooting, what, 85% from free throw line. And today he was fantastic. He was uh, what six was he? for I six. Guess, he was perfect. I think it's six for six. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, yep. he was, he was fear. You, you knew that one and one he was going to get him. My wife's like, he's going to get him. I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, Oh, he's for sure going to get it. Uh, but he just looks much more comfortable shooting. And like you mentioned, his mid range game, mid range game has come along too. Is that something that the players pretty much work with? Is that like a coaching thing? I mean, how does, how does a player transform his shot? Because I mean, that was one of the big questions from last year to this year. And I think he's answered it. Well, for one, you know, a lot of guys, I mean, a lot of them, unless you're like Hauser or Gabe Brown or somebody, a lot of guys, you know, when you get them, you got to teach them how to shoot the ball correctly. You know, one of my big pet peeves is um, (laughs) all of these so-called trainers. 
uh, <laughs> you know, that do all this stuff. And then they don't teach kids basic fundamentals. You know, a lot of times when we get to kids, we have to basically even teach them how to put their hand on the ball. If you don't put your hand on the ball correctly, your elbow automatically flies out. It just automatically, you, you're not going to do it. And then when you're shooting, um, you notice a lot of kids today, their wrist is going this way instead of this way at the basket. And that's because mm -hmm. of hand placement. So there's a lot of work that goes into that from the coaches. And, um, <laughs> you know, but, but with our program, you always see a lot of guys who came in that couldn't shoot. By the, by the time they're juniors, they're, they're able to, you know, shoot the ball pretty proficiently. Yeah. I think that's something too, that there's a tradition of that. Even going back to Judd's period, I remember a lot of guys who came in, as you say, really struggling. And by the time they were upperclassmen, they were reliable shooters. And if they came in as good shooters, they probably left as great ones. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's coaching. That's what's supposed to happen. How do you feel the transfer portal has changed? You know, uh, I know Michigan State has not been affected much this year, but is it, do you, from a coaching standpoint, is it more challenging pushing players? Do you, do you, is it sort of a thing in the back of your mind? Like, oh, if I push him too hard, he's going to leave or there's a risk of those sort of things. Or, or do you just think, well, we got the guy, the guys we wanted initially and that we thought they had a character to handle whatever it is and we're just going to go at them. How does how does it, do you think it's changed? I guess you know the philosophy or the way things work at Michigan State. If you notice, we went in the port. We went in the portal and we got Tyson Walker. Mm -hmm. Right. We haven't got another guy out of there since. And the reason being is we're going to coach our guys, so mm -hmm. we're not going to even have in the back of my mind. Well, I'm afraid he's going to leave, and you you can't coach from that perspective. Sure, now there are yeah. people that do that, but. In our program, and what we believe in, we're not doing that. So, you know, we made that decision when the when the portal first opened up that we were going to do basically what <clears throat> what we've always done. You know, recruit freshmen, bring them in, develop them. If there's a kid that can really, really help us right away, we'll look at that. But then again. We're not just taking any kid out of the portal. He has to fit the Spartan profile. You know, he has to be a good teammate. He has to be a student. He has to have high character. There's a lot of things that go into it. So, you know, just taking kids because he's a, a X five star recruit or four star recruit, we're not doing that. So, and I look at a lot of teams, you know, they pick up some of these guys and these guys aren't uh, what they're, you know, they don't pan out to be, you know, what they, what they're supposed to be. You know, the other thing that I've noticed over the years with MSU and transfers, even, even before the portal came in. So say when the grad transfer rule got instituted or, or even before that, almost all of the guys that Michigan state brought in as transfers seemed to be, either players that MSU had recruited coming out of high school just didn't get, but knew them obviously very well, or at least they were guys from this part of the country. And so I assume 
a lot of times that was, you were able to get a good read on that kid through contacts, you know, knowing his high school coach, knowing his AAU coach, you weren't just going all over the country chasing guys as transfers. So how much of that is, I would assume that's a major part of MSU's philosophy when they have taken transfers is we want to make sure that we know the guy, you know, is, is that, has that in fact been the case? Is that a conscious thought? Well, absolutely. As I said, if a guy doesn't fit the Spartan profile of what we look for in a kid, whether it be high school, whether it be transfer or anything else, we're not taking yeah. We're just not yeah. going to take them. Uh, yeah. You know, we just, the way we do things there um, is, is just not going to work. So, uh, yeah, um, for the most part, when we take a, when we take a transfer, it is normally because, as you said, someone in the area said, hey, you know, uh, so-and-so wants to transfer into you guys. I think he'd be a great fit. He played for me in high school. Coach, I'm telling you, he's a good kid, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, uh, then then that's where, you know, we take re- referrals and we find out and we, you know, we're like, you know, private investigators, you know, <laughs> trying to find out what's going on with this guy and why he's really transferring and stuff like that. But I, I think about also two guys like Mike Chappelle way back or Joey Hauser more recently, where I know you guys recruited both of them in high school. So presumably when they decided mm-hmm. they wanted to transfer, you knew who they were and it was a pretty easy decision, oh, no. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and even maybe yeah. somebody like Bryn Forbes, yeah. who was from the Lansing area that you had to have known right. well, even though you hadn't recruited him immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that's sometimes that's the, the problem. The fan base seems to be having with the portal is not accepting that, you know, the recruiting philosophy isn't going to be very different than it's been with high school guys. It's the same thing, right? If you don't get the right kids out of the portal and they don't, you know, as I said, if they don't fit your program, your style of play, what you want to do, your philosophy, as far as coaching them, you're not going to be successful. You could get five, you could get five, five star guys. That doesn't make, that doesn't assure you that you're going to win. In either basketball right. or football, right. I don't care what the sport is. You know, you <laughs> talent is one thing, but talent is never is never always enough. Right. There's got to be some discipline. There's got to be some character. There got to be some you know responsibility. There's a lot of things that have to go with that talent. And then when you have that kind of talent, you better have super leadership. And if you right. don't have those things. I don't care who you got. You can have an all-star team of Michael Jordan. If, they, <laughs> if there's no leadership there, it's not going to work. <laughs> well, um, I guess, you know, it, your overall impression of the game, now Michigan State's going to go into a relatively slow period, where I think, what, three games in the next 30, or actually not going to leave East Lansing for 37 days, I think, until after the Michigan game. So we have four games before Michigan. Uh, what's... Aside from getting Malik back and hopefully, you know, hopefully soon, and then getting Akins back in sort of game shape, et cetera, you know, what is the, what do you think the team's going to be focusing on, working on, you know, in the next th- three to four weeks to try and get ready for the Big Ten season? Well, <laughs> they're not getting ready anymore. They're in it. And, uh, I, I, but well, yeah. I do understand what you're trying to say. Um, you know, the big thing is, is to shore up 
the, a lot of the little things, you know, like moving the ball. You know, sometimes, sometimes we get caught offensively with too much dribble and no ball movement. You know, when we swing that ball from side to side and then all of a sudden attack that long closeout, then we become pretty good because we can get to the basket or get that drawing kick and we're standing there wide open for a shot. So, you know, we, you know, they'll spend a ton of time with that. They'll spend a ton of time on just the ABCs, dribbling, passing, and shooting. They'll spend a ton of time just doing those things. Um, your other things, your, your, your plays and, you know, all of the other things that you do offensively, they're, they're more or less etched in stone at this point. You may want to time up your plays and help them with the timing of your plays and stuff like that. And then defensively, you know, it'll be, it'll be about just simply, again, the ABCs of playing defense, you know, sitting down, moving your feet, staying in front of the ball, you know, talking when you're on the weak side. So it'll, when, when you, when they say time and, we need time to practice. That's not practice up and down every single day. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. uh, that that the actual scrimmage and the stuff that they'll do in practice would be probably cut down. To, oh boy, I bet you thirty percent of the practice, the rest will just be fundamental skill work. So that's how you get your guys ready because you just sharpen them up fundamentally. And then, uh, you know, one of the questions I had too that I've always wondered with the coaching, you know, you we're just coming off a two-game losing streak, but there are a number of times when Michigan State's been, you know, 7-1 or 7-0. And what's harder to coach as a coach? Is it harder to, to keep a team re, keep a team focused at 7-0 or a team that's lost four in a row to get, get them back in the winning ways? I mean, obviously you'd rather be up, have seven wins, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, which is harder from a coach's standpoint to for your team and to kind of get you where you want to go? Or does it depend on the team? Well, it, it, it's the hardest thing is, is when you're losing. Because what you're trying to do, you're trying to help them to regain their confidence. And it's just like anything else in life. When your confidence dwindles, it's kind of hard to perform. And uh, that's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, one of the things that good coaches do when you're seven and oh, you um, you ride them harder. I mean, you really go after them hard, so that they don't, you know, so that they don't get it in their head that they think they've arrived because we won seven in a row. And um, <clears throat> it's just like the same thing you would do with a uh, a great player. When a guy is his level of play starts to rise, then as a coach. You got to start really evaluating them, and anything you can pick his game apart with, that's what you do, and that keeps him grounded and keeps him playing well. If you go the other way, <laughs> the the distraction of premature <coughs> satisfaction will set in. <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> your, that can't be a trouble. <laughs> what are the uh, what are the early games and? In- and when we turn the corner and head into January, you know, is, is Michigan. How much does Tom Izzo hate Michigan? Or maybe he hates the wrong word, but how much does he enjoy beating Michigan? Uh, is that like his favorite thing besides, you know, winning championships? Uh, you know, you know, that's changed over the year. When, uh, <clears throat> when I first came here and Tom started out early, 
you know, the Michigan game, everything rolled on it. And uh, the, one of the reasons we couldn't beat them because we wanted to beat them too much. Uh-huh. We, we would, you know, we, we wouldn't play well because we just wanted it too much. And then finally, when we just started saying, you know, let's just go out and play our best and stop. Oh, Michigan, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta give 120%. Well, there's no such thing as 120%. <laughs> right. So, right, right. you know, we, you know, once, once we started doing that, then we started winning, you know, started beating them. But of course it's a rivalry and you want to win your rivalry games. And, um, you know, you know, of course he wants to beat Michigan. Uh, I do, you do, everybody does, but, (laughs) um, you know, sometimes that thing that, that can be overblown and, uh, can throw you out of whack. Well, I think that's probably that we can wrap it up there. Thank you. I mean, thanks a ton. It really has been a, a delight having you on coach. Um, I'm so glad to see that you're uh, enjoying your retirement and hang out watching <laughs> basketball at home. That's that's a great way to go. Uh, so it's great to see that. And um, anyway, I guess we'll just, like I said, we'll wrap it up there. And if you want to uh, go to our website, I appreciate you going to the final fours on the schedule.com. You can join our forum and join with other Spartan fans. And I guess until next time, the final fours on the schedule, go green. All right, go white. And uh, it's been a <laughs> there pleasure, we go. Eric and Ron. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That was outstanding. You know how many times I said grow green and he's never said go white, so thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. You guys take care and have a great night, okay? You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.